Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames. This week, the debate focuses on the hidden credentials ignored by employers. We value where you learn something more than we value how well you know it. A new effort to tackle knowledge discrimination. If you don't have a degree, there's a lot of discrimination against you, despite the fact that you could be the one educating people and teaching people. The structures that lock some out. You can call it social networks. You can call it social capital. And the wave of change that digital learning provides. Our newsmaker was kicked, stomped, and robbed of his most prized possessions. I know my whole life was in that bag. When a GoFundMe goes right, saving the day for a Philadelphia man with a big heart. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus this week is knowledge discrimination. Ever heard of it? Let me explain. Millions of adults in America are highly intelligent and possess knowledge, skills, and non-traditional education relevant to current industries. But because these individuals didn't go to college or get a technical certificate, they are habitually underemployed and paid lower wages. All of us labor, and unfortunately not everyone gets paid appropriately for that. An individual with a four-year degree will earn a million dollars more during their lifetimes than their counterpart with just some college or a high school degree. Diploma and the individuals most impacted at risk communities, many of whom cannot afford college, and sometimes even with a degree, if it's not from the right institution, it may not mean more dough. So, is it time to level the playing field by ending knowledge discrimination? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Dr. Peter Smith. He's a professor at University of Maryland University College. He's also author of Free Range Learning in the Digital Age. He's an expert in education discrimination. We also have Manuel gonzalez Canche. He's an associate professor in the Graduate School of Education at University of Pennsylvania, and he focuses on structures influencing minority and at-risk student success. We also have Vincent Thompson. He's a veteran journalist and communications professional who went to college but never got his degree. And finally, we have Camilla Smith. She is currently working a quasi-volunteer job with CareerLink. She has two associate degrees. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. First, Peter, I want to talk to you. You have a theory about education that says many colleges and employers ignore, quote, hidden credentials. Explain your theory. Well, it's not a theory. It's something I've lived with for 50 years, serving uh, poor people and middle-class people who got bypassed by college. And uh, race, gender, economic status all play into that. Mm -hmm. But it is is tens of millions of people in this country. And the bottom line is knowledge discrimination is the discrimination practiced in this country when we, we value where you learn something more than we value how well you know it. And so if you learn it, I call personal learning, you've developed your hidden credentials away from school, taking all sorts of courses or doing it on your own. The world doesn't pay attention to it. Employers don't pay attention to it. And colleges won't give you credit for it. At UMUC, we do give you credit for it. Uh, but it's something I've been working on uh, all my life. 
So it's like if you go to and get the same exact information that you may get at a, a school that may not be a Harvard, they value Harvard over the other school. Amen. But also if you join the military and you become a, a corporal and you've done all that military training and you come out and it's very hard for you to get any recognition for the mm-hmm. learning you've done in the military. And that is just one example. Manuel, what are some of the structures that you've seen that keep this whole idea in place that it's pretty much better to get you know, a degree at a high-level institution versus the type of experience that Peter talked about. Individuals do not randomly select to attend college or to pursue extra education. There is a whole set of structures that facilitate or impede individuals' decision to attend college. Uh, you can call it uh, human capital from on the part of their parents who mm. invest in their early education, You can call it social networks. You can call it social capital. Overall, the structural barriers that lower-income individuals and minority individuals face in this country prevent them from accessing education. And even when they access education, another form of discrimination is when an individual goes to a community college and wants to transfer those several credits or many credits in that sector to the four-year sector, the four-year institution, rarely accept those credits. And so you're still held back even if you try to to make enrolls at the community college level. And um, I think that's a good transition to you, Camilla, because you have two associate's degrees but are having a hard time finding full-time pay and work. Yes, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, I've been adding to my education, sometimes needed be, and then a lot of my education is self-taught. I went back to school to just find out information about me more so than actually uh, using that to transmit to a job. I just found out that I, in human services, I liked helping people, and I just used that education to move, there, move in that, in that uh, arena. But I've always added to my self-taught knowledge, and unfortunately it wasn't recognized. I've had jobs throughout you know, my lifetime, but nothing really concrete or nothing long enough that really valued what I really knew. My creativity and my, you know, my ability to do a lot of other things wasn't taken into account whenever I applied for jobs. Did you feel like you were being discriminated against despite all of this? I wondered, you know, but ultimately employers, they hire who they want. And and I can imagine that it's discriminatory, but it doesn't do me any good, you know. For the education reason. And and, and Vince, I want you guys to hear Vince's story. I mean, he's a fairly successful journalist here. I like to think I am. Yes. and, 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 And but you have had... Tell the people about your education and what roadblocks you face because you just did not go that extra time and get that degree. I'm going to get the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. So obviously they wouldn't give a Lifetime Achievement Award if I know what I was doing. But what happened was I went to high school, graduated from St. Joe's Prep, went to Marietta College in Ohio for two years, had to come back home, went to Temple University for two years, and Life just happened, right? I got a job. I got married. I raised my kids. I have a 26-year-old son who graduated from Temple. I've got a 23-year-old kid who I'm actively investing in. So life just got in the way. And, you know, we are degree discriminatory. If you don't have a degree, there's a lot of discrimination against you, despite the fact that you could be the one educating people and teaching people and doing all that other breaking stuff. Breaking news. Breaking. I mean, I just think really what we have to say is this. As a country, if we say that education is important, it's got to go from the time you were born to age 16. We cannot put up roadblocks for people who may have other reasons because in Philadelphia, there's like 170,000 people who are like me 
that didn't that went to college but didn't get a degree. You don't say those 170,000 people aren't yeah, yeah. And I want to go back to uh, Peter over here because, I mean, you heard Vince has decades of experience. Carmella has formal education, two associate's degrees. You think two plus two equals four, right? Why do you think employers and others refuse to recognize their type of credentialing? What is their logic here? Uh, I don't think they say anything other than they're, look- they're looking for the degree as a signal. And an elite degree is a heavier signal to people than an than a less elite degree or a community college degree, unfortunately. Think about it this way. We are taught in this country that if you don't get there, somehow it's your fault Mm -hmm. that, you know, live and learn, uh, the school of hard knocks, uh, blah, blah, blah. The fact of the matter is we know now the average adult, the average adult spends 700 hours a year learning purposeful things outside of college. A year. Multiply that by 50 weeks. And that's informal, personal learning. And the other thing I learned is that the social cost, I always understood because I started a college when I was 25 in Vermont with Head Start Mothers. Mm. And these were brilliant, cool women. They were at the end of the dirt road and they had no way to go to school. But they were, they were terrific and they knew a lot. And I kept saying, whoa, what do we do about this? Are we going to make them take child development? Do you know there are 90 million people, 170,000 in Philly, 90 million people in this country with a high school degree – and no college certificate or degree, or an associate degree, you can't, that's not even in that number, can't get up. You know, if you get a certificate, you make $4,000 a year more. Yeah. A little, you get an associate degree, you, you make eight or nine. You get a baccalaureate degree, you make 10, 11, 12 For the more. same job a lot of times. And the fact of the matter is, so 90 million, take 10% of them. Yeah. Nine million people a year are making, just cut them $8,000 a year more. That's billions of dollars of financial benefit to the individual and the society through taxes. I mean, it's it's more than just social problems. Yeah, and that's why, Emmanuel, could you pick up on that? Because that was the perfect transition about the economic implications of this failure to recognize certain types of experiences. I mean, and it has a a disproportionate impact on at-risk and minority communities. Could you talk about this? A similar problem is, is perceived by even if two individuals go to the same college, whatever type of college is, the value of that degree is going to be different based on who they know. Mm. And that is... So, that's a social, mm, social yeah, capital. economy. Yeah, there is a, a, a very famous theory called the strength of weak ties by Grano Better, 1970s, where he mentions that individuals are going to acquire an extra value to the extent that they... Uh, get information about job opportunities from people who are not their family, who people from people who are not their friends, from people who they barely know. That yes. is the, the the value of the weak ties, the weak connections. Aside from that notion, there is also the idea that blaming on, on the people who need the work, this notion of geographical skills mismatch where individuals are constrained to their local proximities and they cannot afford to move either because they are married, they have a house, they have kids. Family, so, they need their help, yeah. Correct. Even if there are job openings, that theory per se is explaining why do we have unemployment rates because we cannot afford to move where the jobs that match our skill sets, even in the absence of a college degree, yeah. are. And, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, we've all heard the statistics. You make a million dollars more in, in a lifetime with a with a degree. Quick story before I I'll go back over here. My mom, I learned 
I worked at a certification office at the Prince George's County Community uh, the school system. And once my mom put all her credits together, you know, she got a $20,000 raise. Once they realized she had all this education that she hadn't been turning in certifications for. And a lot of the teachers would go back and get credits because you got a $2,000 raise every time you turn one in. Mm-hmm. So for those people who did access formal education, they got they saw it in their pockets. I mean, obviously, if you're looking for work, Carmela, this is impacting you economically. Yes, it is. I'm low income. I kind of struggle, but I put a lot of resumes out there. I interview well. I speak well. I'm an office administrator. I can run an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, my associates in human services, uh, along with me just being an empathetic person anyway, I like to help people in CareerLink. Part of my most of my position is to help others who are trying to find jobs who don't know how to access computers. I'm very well computer literate. So I have very good skills and long experience. And I'm wondering if that may be also uh, a barrier. My age, getting older, people, they hire who they want. So, but I still think I'm valuable and I would be a valuable asset to a company or organization, preferably helping people so that I can utilize all these skills that I've learned. And Vince, I know you had a job, and we won't name where, that specifically identified your lack of a bachelor's degree as the reason. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. And believe it or not, and I'll say it, it was a local count mm-hmm. that, that, that identified it. And I had said, I'm a great story. Go back to school, get my degree. I still write for you. Yeah, I'm a PR person. I was thinking of the image right now, and they were like, no, no, no. And what I learned is, you know, if you want to change the rules, you can. If you're an organization, you're a leader, you can change it. It gets done every day. And what was interesting, Vince, you worked for politicians. Yeah. You've worked for... I've been the chief of staff for an elected official. Yeah. I mean, you've worked at other radio stations, yes. at, at written publications, and yet this college would not hire you because of the lack of a piece of paper. The irony is this college asked me to come in to help them with their public relations problem. And then when they had the job opening, they did not. But I have to say this. Life is a funny thing. It moves on. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. But, you know, I, I've realized now, even at 52, I've got to go back to school. But one of the things I want to do, if I go back to a school, you're going to have to give me life credits. Because if I know a little bit more than maybe yeah. the professor, I don't want to have to go and <laughs> get crack a book. And, and, and that's why, you know, Peter, you're funny. Because are, are, are these employers, are these folks, I mean, universities, are they willing to look uh, at people's skill set in a different kind of way and, and, and shift away from the more traditional model of education? A very few are, and there will be more in the future. They're going to be out of business because, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, we know how many 18-year-olds there are going to be in 2036 because they were all born last year, and there's fewer and fewer of them. So anybody keeps paying attention just to that, that group, they're going to have a hard time. But let me, let me say, when I was writing Free Range Learning the Digital Age, I'll say it wait before that, UMUC does this. We've had the policy on the books and the practice for years to help somebody. It's called assessment of prior learning. Mm. And it's non-collegiate learning. It can be courses. It can be personal learning. And we put you through a course. We, we get your transcript credit. We aren't as good as we want to be, but we're a heck of a lot better than a whole it's, lot of And explain what that is. that is. Is that like taking an entrance exam to determine where you Not, fall in the— if, you, if you've been in uh, the military, you've got courses. There are other in places you can be in business and you take a course and then a third party will appraise the course and then it'll come to us from like the American Council on Education. It's there and then there's the portfolio for the learning you've done on your own. You know, the what I call the 
free-range learning, the personal learning, you put together a portfolio, you make your credit claims, you bring in evidence, and then a professor looks at it and gives you credit for it. Mm. I've been doing this for 50 years because these Head Start mothers, they weren't going to have it. I said, we got this cool college. We're going to help you learn what you need. Probably no credit. Now, this is early on. Hey, this woman knew me. She said, Peter, you with your degree on the wall are telling me with nothing that I don't need credit. Ha. And I went home and said, she's right. And I developed over the years, and mostly in writing free-range learning, a new definition of privilege, and we're talking about it here. I have it. Mm. Privilege, my privilege is I've never lost a fight I didn't choose. Millions of people in this country losing a fight every day they never asked for. And that, and that, and I want to do something about that. That's what my career has been about. It's what UMUC is about, is how can we be friendly to adult learners? How can we not say, we've got our way, yeah. you do it. How do we get our arms around you and help you get where you want to go? Yeah. That's, that's our story, and we're getting better at it every day. And, I mean, if you think about this, I mean, this we've been talking about jobs, jobs, jobs. And when in actuality, there are more jobs available than there are people, people. to work the jobs. Amen. And a lot of it has to do with misplaced skill sets, right? How do we transfer people over, Manuel? I mean, we talk about uh, minorities and at-risk populations how do you sort of convince these colleges, convince folks to, to, to kind of shift and so, deal with this? Basically, there are kind of incentives, if we want to call them, like, for example, performance-based funding that states have implemented in where to the extent that uh, colleges and universities are graduating and offering credentials to their students, they're going to, there is going to be a, a percentage of the funding attached to that, mm-hmm. so performance-based funding. There is another one that is called outcomes-based funding. And these are not new. They have been for decades in, in the United States. So what they have been doing nowadays is that there are some initiatives, like, for example, in Utah, where the colleges are incentivized to go and find individuals who already have the credits offered by their institutions and basically offer them the, the credential. So basically, you 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 qualify. Here's your here's your paperwork. Because yes, because they have the incentive of increasing their numbers so that they receive the funding. Oh, See, that's, that's isn't that like, that's a sneaky way of doing things, isn't it? The sneaky Money. reason too. If we are looking, just yeah. doing it the right way for the right reason. That's <laughs> sneaky sneak right there. I'll take that sneaky sneak. I'll be all right with that. But but and, and I know that there are two Manuel. There are programs helping the the folks so that they can matriculate into you know the the students who fall into these categories matriculate and be successful too as well. Well, as well. even well, um, unfortunately, whenever uh, lower income minority students access college, even if they access college, they may be more likely to be placed in remedial education. Remedial education doesn't grant a college credit, which means that they're going to be paying for their participation in those classes without getting a credit for their degree. Most of the time, they are discouraged because they exhaust financial aid, they have to work, they, life happens, so they drop out of college. What did they do with that uh, enrollment? And Nothing. All, and all those student loans, and you Go didn't ahead. even get your degree. And that is more prevalent in for-profit colleges than in public community colleges, unfortunately. That right there hurts my heart. Like that right there, that hurts because you're, you, you think you get into this big-name college. They put you in this, the, the remedial school that is tougher mm-hmm. because if you were in the regular school, you might not even have to take Cal 4. And then you flunk out and you still owe all this money. 
without the degree, without the skill sets that the degree signals. We, we know that people are very smart, but people are very competent. They just need the degree for getting the credit, social and the credit. Foot in the door too, yeah. I, call it, we, I call it wasted talent. We have all this capacity and wasted talent because it's unrecognized. It's there. People have it. But we don't we have culturally not wanted to because we had these vertical stacks called universities and they were nothing don't get me going on the alternatives of how that happened. But the fact is we know how to recognize the talent that people have and the knowledge they have and do something about it. It's advanced placement. Yeah. Right? We all know about advanced placement. How about advanced placement for life experience? Yeah. And and I mean, how do you make America competitive with the rest of the world if we leave on the bench people like Carmela and Vince over here who have all this experience? Well, you're not going yeah. you're not going to leave me on the bench. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But, but I, I mean, what what I'm saying is blocking certain yeah, things true. because think about if you've already been so successful mm-hmm. without the degree, and there was a time, I mean, some of the the top network journalists some, some of them didn't go to high school, okay? So Peter Jennings, but you were blocked at places. Right. To think about if that if that impediment wasn't there. Let me. I think the one thing people have to understand. I believe most people want their kids to succeed. I'm a parent of three. Yeah, I have invested in my two sons, so I know I can pay for a college degree because I help pay for their college degree. Yeah, and I really think in colleges and universities across the country, especially in places like Philadelphia, which have fifty or sixty. If you tapped into that adult market, that is an economic benefit for you that is fantastic. They would be fantastic alumni. They're the people that go to your football games. They already go already. And if we, I would love to see Philadelphia create some kind of like Philadelphia plan, which would make a credit cheaper, maybe if you've lived here for five years, where it would be an incentive for you to go back. Because I can't imagine at universities like Temple, Drexel, Penn, don't want that. And I know I would be a heck of an alumni for somebody. So you know what I mean? He's like, plug. But I think we need to make it because a lot yeah. of times adults don't go back because they're there with 18, 19-year-old kids. They feel like things are lost. Maybe we get it kind of slower. So there might yeah. be something that's yeah. more designed for us. But don't throw I, us I, out. Countries all across the world invest in education. Yeah. That's why they're much better. And Carmela, do you feel like you need that bachelor's degree? I was told that I can combine the two that I have and will have a bachelor's degree. I didn't know I could do it, but someone told me that there is a way to do that. But, yeah, I think I, uh, my life experience totals more than a bachelor's degree. Um, I, and what I've taught myself and just from, from working and learning and growing. Yeah. yeah. It, formal education is cool, but if I don't know myself, then education is like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, because this is Flashpoint, we're about to wrap this up. Did you want to get another point I was in? just going to say, in, in in the book, I've got at least, well, I've got about 50 interviews, but there there are at least 10 of them, 12 of them, where it's exactly that kind of a story. A woman working for a, a state agency in Connecticut who was applying for a job, and she heard two people talking, saying, well, she's good at her work, but she won't get the job because she doesn't have a degree. And in that case, she said that was her turning point. She said, that's it. I'm going back to school. Luckily, there was an adult-friendly college there to deal with her. But it's the, the point. You come to a point and you say, I've got to make a change. And then there's got to be the right yeah. institution with the right policies there to help you. Yeah. And I, and I will say as so, someone who has a, a JD, MJ, and all of that, 
People do look at the degrees. As soon as mm-hmm. I say I have a JD, they're like, oh, she a lawyer. So you get extra, you know, you get jobs that maybe, even if you have no experience, like in radio, people will hire you just off the strength of that degree. And I, and I threw that out there because they do. The degree, yeah. they, they, they look at it in a certain kind of way. Yeah, if I may, the bottom line is that not every job requires a bachelor's degree. That's right. And if individuals, yeah. employers are using this mechanism to discriminate against those who are less likely to attain a bachelor's degree, that is pure discrimination, period. Well, because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. I want each of you to give a brief closing statement and answer this question. Do you think employers will shift to a model that assigns equal value to traditional and non-traditional education in the near future? If so, why or why not? I think employers will as they have to. But I think the thing that we're trying to do at UMUC and and I learned doing this book is that we can do a much better job of documenting what people know regardless of where they learned it. So I don't have to ask an, a big employer or a small employer to take a leap of faith. What we're going to do is take all this informal and non-collegiate learning, package it, create equivalency and say it may look like X, Y, Z, but here it is in academic terms and in employment terms. So it's up to higher education mm. also to do a much better job mm-hmm. of being what I call adult-friendly and recognizing this learning and giving advanced standing for learning done outside of college. Employers need proof. Yeah. And I think we owe them. We aren't doing our job either. Manuel? So there are jobs that have very specific skill sets that probably require the human capital that a college degree will imply. There are other jobs that do not have that skill set required, and those need to be evaluated on a pretty much case-by-case basis whenever there is uh, enough evidence that there is not a requirement skill set-wise to fulfill that employment. Vince, and then we'll let Carmela give the last word. People will change when they have to change. Exactly. Mm. And until folks have to change in higher education, they won't. The only thing I have to say is this. Other countries have invested in education. America is a great country. I love being in America, but we don't do things perfectly. And the reason that other countries like Germany and others mm-hmm. beat us in every statistical category is because they said it is part of our vested interest as a country to have an educated workforce. And if we don't educate people from those that live in Appalachia to those that live here, it is going to be a detriment. Yeah, and last word. I have the pleasure of knowing a lot of people at CareerLink, my age and younger, who are absolutely trying their absolute best to find good jobs, and they are all educated, either self-taught or just going through life experience, like a learning life. Yeah. Uh, Just learning, not necessarily book knowledge, but just learning through life, and we do that every day. And we apply that to our education so that we can have a good income. Yeah. And and we, we don't get the opportunity. I just hope that somewhere down the line that will change. Thank you to Dr. Peter Smith. Thank you to Manuel Gonzalez. And thank you to Vince Thompson and Camilla Smith for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. You're welcome. Thank you. Next up, he was beaten and robbed, but the community stepped up. It was overwhelming. A case of GoFundMe gone right. We'll be right back.
This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one thing that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is assault and battery and robbery. Well, that's what happened a couple of weeks ago to Abraham L., a.k.a. Brother I.B., a photographer known in the community for his photos of children and grassroots events. While on his way to a local gig, he was near 13th and Vine when he was drumped by a group of men who then stole his backpack filled with five thousand dollars worth of photography equipment well fast forward and friends encouraged them to create a gofundme and well let's just say unlike last week's story with johnny bobbitt this gofundme went right with me in the studio to tell his story is newsmaker brother ib brother ib welcome to flashpoint thank you very much i'm happy to be here yes first of all how are you doing I am healing. I'm doing good. I'm blessed. I'm definitely happy to be here. Yeah, I can still see some of the scars on your hands yeah, and everything. I, got a, I, got, I still got a few wounds uh, on my eye. Still a little bit better. Like, and um, I got an x-ray on my ribs because mm-hmm. that's the thing that's still bothering me the most. Tell everybody what happened to you. Just a regular day. I just got finished doing an event for a friend's school. And I was going to do an event at Noto. I got there a little bit early, so I'm just trying to find a store around there. And I walked down in the little block. I later found out it's a shelter. And so, but it's people actually living outside in front of it. Mm-hmm. So this is downtown. I've been to 13th and Vine by myself, you and know, in cool the area. it's cool if you're on Vine, but if you go on some of those little back streets, mm-hmm. that's where the, the problem is. And so somebody kind of got you. He asked me, you know, did I want to buy a Lucy? And I didn't. He's just looking very kind of desperate, so I wanted to support him. I give him the dollar. All I had was a twenty because I just got paid from the last event. When I gave him the twenty, I, I didn't get my change back. And um, they was telling me to get off the block and everything. And so he got in my face. Before I know it, we was going to blows. And then that's when three or four other men came behind me and they started kicking me, hitting me. And when I got down, they started stomping me and they ripped my. They actually ripped my bag off my back. And what was going through your mind? My bag. That's all I really was worried about. So I got up. I wanted my bag back. I even offered them money because I know my whole life was in that bag. And so tell me what was in that bag. So I bought me a Nikon D750. It's one of the top ones in the Nikon class. Had my two prom lenses, which is very important. And I also had my flash, batteries, all types of just accessories that I Worth a lot. How much worth was it worth? Brand new, over $5,000. Gone right there. I just went to a safe distance and I called the police and I got the main one involved who started everything. You never got the bag back. Fortunately. And I wasn't going to tell anybody. I'm on I'm on this group on Facebook for D seven fifty users. I just decided to tell them. One girl suggested that I should do a GoFundMe. And then you you blew up. I did. It did. It was it was to be honest, it was overwhelming. Even like um, a news station called and wanted me to be on the news. You know, some people say the attention would be good. It's just overwhelming. I understand a man behind the lens, not necessarily in front of the lens. Yeah. Yeah. You had 130 people donate four thousand, more than four thousand dollars in just nine days. And GoFundMe's are hard. It's hard to raise money on GoFundMe. We only talk about the big ones that go viral, whatever. But there's a lot of people who've been sitting at fifty dollars for like a year. I worked with children a long time. I worked in the communities a long time. I've given back, and a lot of that was from that. When I do it, I do it for the love there, and the, you know the lessons I teach the children. But that love was repaid. I was so happy to get my cameras back because I didn't know what I was going to do. Because explain to people, I mean, you are a photographer by trade. You pay for your family yes, yes. taking pictures. I've been working, you know, with, with, with children for a long time. This year, I was um, diagnosed with ep- epilepsy out of nowhere. Until I get this under control, 
Like I can't work in the schools because it's, it's really dangerous. And the medicines are they're terrible. I'm trying to find a more natural alternative. Yeah. But until then, photography is my everything. I have three um, amazing children, and they need to eat. And that's how I make my money. And just from me losing that camera, I probably missed out on at least $3,000 from the gigs that I missed. How long did it take you to get back up and running? A week. That's that is a, the blessing. One week. And my camera was in the middle. And I waited for it. And I just couldn't wait to post it. I love it. I, I slept with it. <laughs> 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 I really did. And it so right next to what me. do you want to say to all those people who donate? And oh I mean, there's some of the people were like Huey Dillon, who I know, another photographer. So many people knew you. I had to turn down donations. I mean, people wanted to give me camera gear. It was huge. I was, again, overwhelmed. It was so unbelievable because, you know, you go through so many hard times. And then when the community... That, you know, I've been there for just come back for me like that. I know, you know, what I do is not in vain. And I know that I'm impacting a lot of people. And I just want to say, you know, this is when GoFundMe goes right. When you see somebody who is a good person and you are able to post it and people are actually able to get the funds to an individual who needs it, who then puts it to work in a week. You know, congratulations. And I want to say this. This camera is the community's. If you need something and you don't have money, I got you. I will give you, you know, your prom, your birthday. You know, I say, just give me what you can. My hashtag is real people and the people's photographer. And that's, I could go to clubs like Noto and everything. You know, I'd be around celebrities, but I like the pictures of the everyday people. And that's what I'm known for. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Next up, fighting the stigma linked to opioid addiction. What better way than to share the story? A new campaign and upcoming conference that shines a light on someone you know. We'll be right back. But first, here's this week's Flashpoint on the Tweets with Flashpoint Associate Producer Brianna Bonds. Hey, Brianna. Hey, we're taking it to the tweets, getting your opinion on the Flashpoint topics everybody's talking about. So we have a lot to talk about this week. We polled you. Should a person who creates a crowdfunding account for someone else be allowed to put conditions on the distribution of funds? This was hashtag Johnny Bobbitt. Yeah, you remember that? <laughs> you remember, that was last week's show. Yes. So options were, yes, they did the work. No, not their money. Maybe within reason. And finally, I don't know. The top answer was no, not their money. That had 69% of the vote. 28% thought maybe within reason conditions could be placed on the funds. And Cherry, 0% said yes, they did the work. Yeah, people are really, really sensitive about how people use those GoFundMe funds. Thanks, everybody, who, who answered. Yeah. So moving on, next we posted, Is it time to release grudges against former Mayor Wilson Good Sr. after the move bombing and end street naming protests? The options were, no, 11 people died. Yes, time to heal. The other option was, yes, but no to street. And finally, I'm not sure. 55% said, no, 11 people died. And that was the top answer, Cherry. Yeah, well, this was a very controversial issue. If you haven't listened, the Flashpoint Extra on this point will explain everything. Exactly. And here's something interesting. 36% said, in total, yes to releasing the grudge. But half of that percentage stands firm and says that regardless, there should not be a street named after Mayor Good. Wow, but it happened anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, Chair, anything else stand out to you with this poll? Well, I just say people have really strong feelings about it. We had quite a few tweets at us uh, with commentary. Yes, yes, we did. So we're just going to shout out at ACTrey33, at Rename Taney, at Trial AW Dan, and at Don underscore Morgan. So most of the comments were not in favor. We will say Don Morgan. He said he was kind of on the fence. He saw both sides of it. He said, this is difficult because Ramona Africa, etc., had no business creating a fortress out of that home. But the bomb was indiscriminate and excessive. I'm torn. Then we had someone completely way to the other side, trial A.W. Dan, who said, are you kidding me? This is a disgrace, among other things, he said. Yeah, very, uh, very flashpoint topic. And this is why we do this show. Exactly. So tune in next week and follow us at Flashpoint Show because we're taking it to the tweets. Look for the hashtag Flashpoint Poll. Thanks. Bye. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. The opioid crisis in America was declared a public health emergency by the Trump administration almost a year ago. And for many, the crisis continues. A reality that is not lost on local communities in Philadelphia. There were over 1,200 overdose deaths in 2017 alone. The Independence Blue Cross Foundation is stepping up. It's promoting a campaign to energize and destigmatize the fight against opioid addiction. The campaign includes a conference. Here to tell us more is Foundation President, the Reverend Dr. Lorena Marshall-Blake. Welcome to the KYW studio. Thank you so much. So first of all, I know Independence Blue Cross is, it, you know, does a lot around health, you know, and the foundation does a lot of great work. So tell us what prompted this campaign? I think you said it a moment ago when you were talking about how the numbers have just escalated with regard to the opioid crisis. And we started this about a year ago, and we're a health insurer. And it's not just about health insurance. It's getting people to be healthy. Uh, We're talking about treatment. We're talking about prevention. We're talking about wellness. So, again, why wouldn't it be an Independence Blue Cross Foundation? So what is this campaign? Okay, it's called Someone You Know. And what it is, it's a multimedia campaign that's going out to the community. And what better way than to share the stories about what people are going through? It's almost as if you have a story, I have a story. And we have people that have gone through, they're at the stage, they're, what, long-term recovery. And they, yeah. they want to give back. They want to be able to tell everybody else how you can get there. And guess what? It's all about hope. Uh, it's all about taking away the stigma that goes around the whole opioid crisis. And that we're talking about people who are sick. And they're not bad people. They're people that just want to get well. Yeah. Um, how do I get well? And I believe this campaign shows you that there's hope for you. You're talking about a, a mother. You're talking about a veteran. You're talking about someone you know. Grandmas. Gra- exactly. You're talking about yeah. people that are just like you and me, everyday people that are going through this trial, going through this struggle. And through the Someone You Know campaign, you're, you're sharing your story and there's hope. There is light at the end of the tunnel. In other words, there is a way to get better and to get well. And, and I believe it does that. And I and I had the pleasure of looking at some of the videos. It's like a lot of videos of all different types of people from our area and beyond talking about 
their addiction issues or having been there in this dark place. And I think, again, too often um, you hear that stigma around this whole substance Mm. abuse and people feel isolated. They feel left out. They feel as if no one is there. Yeah. So through these stories, someone is there. There is a way for you to get better. An addiction is a disease, okay? It's just like whether it was diabetes, whether it was heart disease. We're not looking at it in the sense that it's this bad thing. We're looking at how can we uh, get our arms around it so we can help people get on the road to healing and to get better. And so the campaign itself has sort of given birth to a conference. Exactly. And the conference is October 16th. It's going to be at the Kimmel Center. And it's an opportunity for people, again, to come and share their stories. We're excited because we have some national leaders. We have Karen that is one of the leading alcohol addiction centers here in the city. That's a part of it, along with Department of Drug and Alcohol Prevention. We have a lot of different partners. I think as we look at this issue, we have to find a way to collaborate. When I look at this Someone You Know campaign, it makes me think about how we once looked at the whole AIDS issue. And it was daunting. It was massive. And what we've been what we're trying to do is bring together all those people that are involved. And can we talk? Can we have a conversation? Because I think it goes full circle and goes back to someone you know. So when you you look at the area that the foundation addresses, we're looking at Montgomery Bucks, Delaware, Chester, Philadelphia County, but you're also looking even beyond that because this message resonates, I believe, not just in our region. But throughout the country. Yeah, I think this is definitely a national uh, crisis because Philadelphia isn't the only city that is seeing these overdose deaths. And what I think is is very interesting is doesn't just strike one demographic because people always had this stigma with regard to addiction, saying that only certain types of people get addicted. But most of it's these people had prescription drugs. You know, it goes all the way. Yeah, you're looking at even seniors. OK, yeah. I mean, over a period of time, you can, you're can you taking different medications for different things. Mm-hmm. But how do you get people in a position that they're then able to move away from that with, you know, with some viable alternatives? For me, it's about pre-treatment, it's about recovery, and it's about prevention. There are people that who have overdosed and have passed away, but I want to see how we can get on the front end of this. And I believe the conference will help us to do that in getting the word out to everybody. And so is the conference for everybody. The conference is actually free. It's called Someone You Know Facing the Opioid Crisis Together. Again, it's going to be Tuesday, October 16th, 2018. And for anyone that's interested in participating, and go on the ibxfoundation.org conference and register. Register. So thank you so much to Dr. Lorena Marshall-Blake, the Independence Blue Cross Foundation, someone you know. I'll be there, y'all, checking it out. This is such a crisis in all of our communities, and we need to find a solution and help and save as many lives as possible. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me. Mine is Cherry Greg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or whatever platform you use to get your pods. All you need to do is search Flashpoint KYW. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Albert Einstein once said, the only source of knowledge is experience. I'm your host, Cherry Greg. Until next week, thanks for listening.